0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Friday, March first, day one hundred and forty-seven of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borsell, Dan here with our military reporter Emmanuel Fabian and health reporter Renee Gert zehend Hello to you both. Hi Amanda. Hi Rene. Good morning, Amanda. We are going to hear about the deadly stampede that occurred in Gaza yesterday and what the IDF's role was. We'll receive updates on yesterday's deadly shooting attack in Elie. Renee is here and we'll learn about female soldiers' health concerns. We'll hear about Ichlov Hospital's new mini-surgery. And to finish it all off, about petri dish testicles. All this and much, much more when we're back.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Saracheck Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Saracheck's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed.
0: Dozens of Palestinians were killed yesterday in Gaza City as they swarmed aid trucks that entered the city. Arab nations have failed to get immediate support for a U.N. Security Council statement that would have blamed Israeli forces for opening fire at Palestinians waiting for the delivery of food and other humanitarian aid. The United States did not support the statement, and U.S. Deputy Ambassador Robert Woods told a reporter who questioned why we don't have all the facts on the ground. That's the problem. So, Manny, what is the IDF telling us about what happened yesterday?
2: Uh, According to the army's uh, chain of events, um, they were securing a convoy of uh, more than 30 trucks. I think the number was 38 uh, trucks carrying humanitarian aid uh, to the north of the Gaza Strip. Um, we should note that in northern gaza there's there's very few population left there most of the population has moved down south uh, but there are still people in north gaza uh, who have not moved south and the situation there is is quite dire to say the least there's uh, no infrastructure there Um, the aid isn't reaching there as often the army's making efforts to bring the humanitarian aid there so the Uh, These trucks had come from Egypt, entered Israel to go through a security screening, and then had gone back uh, into the Gaza Strip, and from there they made their way to North Gaza. Uh, They did this very early in the morning, and I believe this is the fourth um, aid convoy in a row that they've done to North Gaza, in this past week at least. Um, And at around uh, 4.40 in the morning, according to the army, uh, thousands of Palestinians began to rush um the the trucks uh to try and loot them um and during this um uh, they called it a mob um um, that sort of ambushed the trucks uh people beginning to to be um trampled uh, and crushed um the army fired warning shots in the air um to try and disperse the crowds um uh, at that point um it, the crowds weren't dispersing, and these truck drivers uh were continuing to drive forward, running over several people as well um and um uh, at some point later um once most of the convoys had gone through um there was a smaller group of Palestinians that uh, approached an uh an i d f tank uh and again the army fired warning shots and it also fired directly. Uh, at the lower body, at the legs of uh, a number of Palestinians, they say less uh, around ten or less than ten uh, who had been approaching uh, the tanks in a in a way that could have endangered Israeli troops. Uh, and at the end of the day, Hamas is reporting 104 dead and some around 700 wounded in this incident. They have obviously blamed Israeli gunfire for all of the injuries, um, although witnesses um have have said that many have been um uh, were trampled and uh, run over. The army is saying that it did not shoot more than ten people uh during the entire incident. Um there was another event just I'll add um the army said it received reports that some of um the trucks that had reached further into northern Gaza into the Rimal neighborhood where they were heading for um that they that they came under fire by armed Uh, gunmen, probably Hamas, who opened fire at the trucks and then looted them uh, themselves. So uh, a very chaotic situation overnight.
0: Let me just make sure I have this uh, correctly. These trucks, who sent the trucks to begin with?
2: Uh, These trucks, the aid comes from uh, international organizations and, and countries who are providing aid to the Gaza Strip. It's not Israel's aid. Israel just screens it. And the drivers themselves are not uh, they're not a un um they're the army called them private contractors they're not hamas they're not un they're um private palestinians who are being paid to be to drive these trucks uh into northern gaza so not israel the only involvement israel has is uh, screening them uh, screening the aid itself to make sure there's nothing no weapons going to hamas and securing the the convoy um so that it can actually reach its destination Uh, Unfortunately, as we saw um, with this incident, that Israel's attempts to secure the convoy uh, did not uh, really work when thousands of people are, are rushing them.
0: And Israel is attempting to secure these convoys because we've seen in the past that they've just been looted from the outset of when they've entered the Gaza Strip correct? through Hamas or other private
2: citizens. Right, that's uh, we've seen uh, plenty of looting by Hamas and by others of these aid trucks. So that's why uh, Israel was trying to secure it, especially for northern Gaza, where the situation is much more difficult, um, where there is much less population and, and international aid organizations aren't operating as, as widely there. So um, that is why it was really working to secure this delivery. And they're going to look for solutions now um, to ensure that such an incident doesn't happen again.
0: And so this convoy entered from Egypt, and then it went all the way up north through what the Salahadin uh, humanitarian corridor.
2: So no, not via Salahadin. So the the convoy first went to Israel uh, to be screened. Then it entered through Kerem Shalom, and then from there it went all the way up to the beach, and then it went down the the coastal road uh, all the way to northern Gaza. There's an army checkpoint in central Gaza, and it passed that. And then uh, the army was securing it at that point along the coast um, when when it was uh, when the large crowd of Palestinians uh, rushed uh,
0: the trucks and how many troops were used to secure this convoy
2: I don't believe that many. Um, the army has shown footage showing um, a couple of tanks. Uh, and some other armoured vehicles in the area. I don't think they were using that many forces to secure this. Uh, In previous days, there has been no incident. There's been no problem getting this aid to northern Gaza. Um, They're really just trying to prevent it from being looted by, you know, a number of Hamas uh, gunmen who are trying to maybe take control of it and not thousands of people. I don't think there was any way the army could have um, really um, dealt with this sort of situation, but it could have maybe... um, uh, foreseen this uh, happening considering the situation in North Gaza.
0: And other efforts were also made yesterday and in earlier days for airlifts to be dropped into Gaza. But as I understand it, one was actually dropped into Israel. Is that right?
2: Right. So the um, there's a few countries that are involved uh, Jordan, the UAE, um, France um, and and several other countries. They're involved in providing aid that is airdropped uh, into uh, Gaza. Uh, by international um, military planes and not by Israeli military planes. So th- some of them have been successful. They've managed to drop the aid to the right locations. But th- this week, there was a couple instances. incidents. There was one where the aid landed in the sea. Um, so instead of landing on the coast, it was just, it went out to sea and f- it was very difficult for people to actually reach it. And I don't think some of it even came to the coast. And then um, Jordan dropped some aid in North Gaza and because of the winds, uh much uh, most of these um uh these packages on parachutes actually flew into israel landed near zikim um initially it was uh there was a bit of a fear of a security incident because you see parachutes flying in from gaza um as we know on october 7th hamas used that to, to infiltrate into israel um, but in the end it was uh, cleared up quickly um that it was just aid packages that flew a bit too far
0: Yesterday afternoon, two Israelis were killed when a Palestinian terrorist opened fire at a gas station outside the West Bank settlement of Elie before being shot and killed by the owner of the nearby business who was on leave from fighting in Gaza. First of all, Manny, can you please tell us what we know about the victims?
2: The two victims, Rabbi Yitzhak Ziga from Shaveh Shamron and And uh, the second victim, Uriah Hartum, a 16-year-old high school student from Dolev, uh, he had been hitching a ride with uh, Ziger at the time. Uh, I believe they were uh, filling up gas at the gas station uh, at the time when this um, Palestinian terrorist who has been identified as a policeman in the Palestinian Authority as well, uh, he opened fire at at the two, um, killing uh, both of them killing Ziga, who was filling up gas, and Hartum, who was still in the car. Um, uh, and then a short while later, the owner of the hummus restaurant, Aviad Gasbar, who was uh, really just on leave from, from Gaza for a few for a couple days for the weekend, he'd arrived to his restaurant just to check up and see what was going on. Um, he spotted the, the terrorist outside, and there was a short exchange of fire, and he uh, ended up killing um, the terrorist by the end of the exchange.
0: Many, thank you for all your updates. Thank you. We'll go to a short break.
1: The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Renee, you've been attending a conference on women's soldiers' health and there, it's a very complicated issue, of course. But give us some highlights before my 18-year-old daughter conscripts into a fighting unit. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned,
3: Amanda, I uh, actually, I what I attended was a conference on women's health during the war, and it, it covered a lot of subjects. But one of them was, as you said, the uh, health. Uh, of, of women soldiers, in particular combat soldiers uh, during the war and, and in general. And, um, you know, what I came away f- with is that you, we have to remember that although women are proving themselves in these combat units, they are doing excellently um, and can really, uh, they're really equal to their, in many ways, to the men they fight with they are still different biologically and physiologically. And some of the things that women have to contend with health and hygiene wise are different from men. Um, One of those is... uh, is infections that uh, can occur when you're out in the field for a month or more without showering, without having a chance to change clothes often. Um, you know, there are uh, yeast infections, other types of infections, and without being able to go to a doctor um, to have it checked, you have to be able to figure out how to handle it. Uh, on, you know, on the spot on your own. Um, So in my article, I give some practical uh, suggestions uh, for how women should be uh, prepared, things they can bring with them. Uh, So that's one thing. Another, of course, is uh, periods. Uh, Men do not have to worry about monthly menstruation. Uh, And Girls or young women who are going to uh, combat units where they know they're going to be in the field for for training for a long time or could be in battle for a long time um, need to really uh, plan ahead about how they want to handle their periods. They should do this, of course, in consultation with IDF uh, doctors or with their own personal doctor from home Um, they, They can do this by taking the pill in a certain way so that they do not menstruate they can do it by taking uh, certain medications that are available to delay periods. So you can take them for about three months, and uh, then doctors recommend going off them for a bit so that you do get a period. But if you know you're going to be in the field for, let's say, two, three months, you can delay your period. Um, There's the option of an IUD, which also prevents, uh, generally prevents menstruation, but that is not... For everyone, so there are all these different methods, but they do have side effects, and so that is why it's very important to consider them in consultation with a physician. Another thing that came up that was very interesting was pelvic pelvic health uh, pelvic floor health. There has apparently been there have been studies in the army to check whether carrying heavy equipment carrying heavy backpacks. As we, as we have seen from pictures and footage of what soldiers are carrying now during combat, whether that uh, affects the pelvic health of women uh, soldiers. And uh, it turns out that it does not, that actually uh, in contrast, it's women who are serving as surveillance soldiers who have to sit for many, many, many long hours uh, just staring at screens, at computer screens, who have uh, more problems with uh, pelvic floor issues and and urine, is, you know, urine leakage and that kind of thing. And uh, then the final thing that came up was um, psychological help. There have been no f- uh, complete studies yet comparing men and women uh, soldiers in this war in terms of PTSD, but from previous studies, it seems that women are doing fine psychologically. They're not uh, more affected by PTSD uh, than men. So, a lot of stuff uh, that was really interesting and, and, th- and uh, things to for soldiers to consider, and then for scientists uh, and researchers to uh, research further in
0: terms of the gender differences. Thanks. I will definitely send my daughter the clip of your article. Now, on Sunday, you visited Tel Aviv Soroski Medical Center, Ichilov Hospital, which has opened a suite of 10 new underground operating rooms for ambulatory surgeries. What is unique about this new setup? This uh, new 10, su- 10
3: operating room suite uh, at uh, Ichilov Hospital in Tel Aviv Uh, has been in the planning for quite a few years, and it's just opening now. Uh, It uh, was created to address the uh, issue that here in Israel, there are long wait times, relatively long wait times for ambulatory surgeries, which are surgeries that can be done generally in one day. You come in in the morning, you get the surgery done, uh, and you're out by evening, Um, And they're done generally not, they're done not under general anesthesia, just a a local anesthesia, a regional anesthesia or or a nerve block. Um, And so Ikhlov felt very strongly that there needed to be an answer to these long wait times. Uh, And they needed to be able to do this in a way where they did not add costs by adding hospital beds to the hospital. Uh, And they were able to do this by creating um, a digital envelope, a digital system that supports the patient before the surgery and after the surgery, so that they get the proper preparation and follow-up at home and do not have to come into the hospital to stay overnight before the surgery or stay after the surgery so this was all thought out very carefully and so now there are uh 10 new state of the art uh operating rooms they expect to st- uh, start off having uh, 30 to 50 surgeries per day. That's just with people coming in in the morning. Once they open afternoon slots, the number will go even higher. Um, and of course, these operating rooms are underground, uh, which is an absolute must here in Israel. And uh, this, these 10 new operating rooms bring Ichilov's number of operating Operating rooms up to 43, which is the largest number in Israel in a single hospital.
0: In a scientific first, researchers at Barylan University have created testicles in a laboratory. It's a discovery that they hope could lead to a better understanding of sex determination as well as advances in infertility treatment. But to be clear, these are organoids, right? Not life-size testicles. Right?
3: Right. That was the first thing I was going to say. These are not life-sized testicles. Uh these are organized with organoids which are tiny, tiny, tiny sort of microscopic uh models, biological models of uh an organ. Uh but they do have all the main components and functions of of the of the larger size real organ and that allows uh, scientists to uh, to study them and manipulate them so that they can learn more and make advances. Um, so in this case, uh, they created the organoid not from stem cells. They tried to do it, but the the organoid did not. Sort of take hold. Uh, What they did is they took the testes of very young mice, you know, just a couple of days old and they broke them down cell by cell and then rebuilt them, which is a different way of, of approaching this. Uh, and that's really the, the, the advance here. And those were able to hold for a lot longer and allow the, the scientists to, to study them, the cells and the genetic makeup and all of that a lot longer. Um, and they are hoping that this research... Will uh, be able to, as you said, advance our understanding of sex def- differentiation in the uh, embryo and uh, help with infertility issues. In particular, uh, the um, researcher I spoke to discuss the options that she hopes will will eventually happen for uh, children, for boys who have who have not yet reached puberty. And uh, have cancer and uh, she thinks that what this will lead to is the ability to take a uh, sample of their testicular tissue before they go into chemotherapy so that the tissue is still healthy and then eventually be able to grow sperm from that tissue and and save it so that later when that boy grows up and wants to have a family, the sperm can be used in in vitro fertilization.
0: Wow, Renee, really fascinating. And uh, just what will they think of next? It's amazing. Thank you so much for your updates today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael dot com. Until tomorrow, shalom.